Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Today, we're broadcasting from the International Culinary Center in Soho, and I am very, very excited because I have with me uh, Chef Pet Schwader, who is a partner with Larry Forgione, uh, not Larry, sorry, it's my generation, Mark, his son, Mark Forgione, Nick Bradley, with a great Laotian restaurant in Tribeca, Keogh. Uh, it opened in 2013, and uh, Chef Pet is here, and we're going to just talk to him. Uh, full disclosure, I was a Peace Corps volunteer back in the 70s Center. in Thailand. Uh, even though the war was raging, I actually used to illegally cross the Mekong wi- River and go to Vientiane because they had French restaurants there, and you could get a fantastic bottle of Algerian red wine for a dollar and <laughs> I was so hard up on my hundred dollars a month <laughs> a salary that a bunch of us used to go there anyway it's an incredible and I guess it, I'm so excited today because it is an incredible magical exotic country and Luang Prabang has to be one of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth with the temples and a UNESCO heritage site but we'll get to that later welcome pet Hi. Hi. <laughs> okay, so let's let's just start in Laos. You were you were born in Laos. Right? So yeah, I was uh, I was born in Laos, uh, 1975. Um, as as uh, Dorothy was saying, there's there was a war going on, and the communists took over the country. So there just happened to be a mass exodus uh, going on. Me and my family uh, illegally crossed the uh, the Mekong into Nong Khai, which is right on the border. So um, there was a war going on? So there was a war going on, and my family um, ended up having to cross the Mekong illegally. Uh, we just feel like, I, I guess, either from my mom's story or, or from my dad, we just didn't feel safe anymore in the country. Um, so we decided to cross illegally, and we ended up in a refugee camp in Nongkai, uh, right on the border. Uh, we were there for almost a year, uh, waiting for our paperwork to... Uh, um, I guess get finished or, or, or whatever the process is. Um, while we were there, my, my father got sick. Um, there wasn't a lot of uh, medical staff or attention there, so he just happened to pass away. Um, How old were you? I was, I think, two years old. Ended up almost being three by the time we left um, Nongkai. We ended up going to Bangkok um, to travel, and we had to stay another six months because my sister got hit by a bus oh, while okay. we were in Bangkok. Um, because she needed to go to the bathroom and we were country folk and it was the big city and, and she didn't, you know, she didn't know where to go and she just ended up 
getting hit by a bus. Um, she's perfectly fine today, so no major issues. But um, we ended up in Wichita, Kansas, um, which is very surprising to people when, when I tell them my story. <laughs> Do you have any food memories? Um, from from, uh, from those very early years? I don't, actually. My, my, my first memories were, were getting off the plane uh, in Wichita, Kansas, and having my aunts and my uncles and, and everybody greeting us, and that was really my first memory. Oh, so you had family. Yeah. So that was great. Were they refugees as well? Yes, yes. They happened to cross earlier. Um, they got their paperwork done faster, so they, they kind of helped us along the process to get us to Wichita. So they are already kind of established, and the the, the sponsor, his name was Jack Fishback. Um, he was kind of like the godfather to the Laotian community in Wichita because he he had a business, but he just provided us with all the basic needs to start life in the U.S., which is you know pretty kind of overwhelming, I think, in the beginning for my mom. I can imagine having lost her husband, and how many how many siblings did you have? I have an older brother and an older sister, so it was really you know being by herself and just, you know, she had that support, but we just, you know, the Laotian community that ended up in Wichita has been really supportive of, of all the families that come over. Um, and then, you know, she got lucky. The Schwader, my name, my last name is Schwader, and that throws everybody off too. So yeah. my whole name, Sulepet Schwader. The Sulepet is like, oh, okay, what, where, where are you from? The Schwader is like, okay, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> um, but my mom uh, remarried in 1980 uh, to Jesse, Jesse Schwader. Um, he was my kind of like my first father figure. Um, and he just really kind of showed us the way of, of how to live in, in the United States. Uh, he ended up passing away when I was eight in 85. Um, so again, my mom's had a lot of hardship, but also she's had a lot of support. So we've been very, very lucky in our lives. So tell me what, you know, this is a true immigrant, uh, great immigrant story, and, and how I love how our foodscape has changed in America because of the immigrant experience. When, when you came, you weren't living in a camp in Wichita. You had no. an apartment. They had put you up in, yeah, with like family. Low-income low housing. Um, you know, again, the sponsors helped us find places where we could stay. And then, you know, he provided the job for my mom. And, and What did she do? It was screen printing. So he had a screen printing business. And he his, his work staff, uh, which was, again, all the people that, you know, came came that just needed adjustment and, and obviously needed uh, um, some some work. So we ended up, you know, having him be a, a big support for the community. So uh, what did she make at home? Were you eating Laotian food at home? And, and this I is guess the, because there was a big community there. Maybe they imported... Uh, so this is the funny thing about growing up in, in Kansas. And, and again, everybody's so surprised, but I, I guess I was just used to it. There's Laotian grocery stores. There's mom and pop like little Laotian restaurants growing up. So we grew up with lemongrass, galangal, which was important, kefir, lime leaf, um, all the things that you think you can't get in, in, in Laos that you can get in Kansas, we got. And, and really, we didn't go without. My mom cooked traditional Laotian food pretty much every single day um, after, wor after work. We'd come home. I would wash dishes. My brother would make the papaya salad. My mom would, you know, make... Somtam? Yeah, somtam or tamakung. Tamakung. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and we would have... Sit on the floor, 
in the little bamboo table and all of us around like with sticky rice and all the little different sauces and that's how we grew up you know the treat for us was you know if my mom didn't want to cook on a friday or saturday we'd have burger king or kfc or pizza hut <laughs> so that was our treat <laughs> and um, that in your mind that was true american food yeah like me and my brother would would we love the Whopper. We love the chicken sandwich and stuff from Burger King. So we'd be that that would be our treat. Mm-hmm. But our, our daily meal would be sticky rice, beef jerky, or really like super traditional stuff we, we grew up eating. Gayang. Gayang. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, again like lop guy, but lop guy with like, you know, gang, puck, like all yeah. like the lettuces and everything else. Yeah. So it was you know, it was it was it was great. Great. So, um, you know, Rocco Despirito, I remember talking to him, and he told me when he went to school, he was so embarrassed because his mother would make him a mozzarella and pesto panini and warm it up. And he'd get there and he'd open it up and he'd be too embarrassed to eat. And, you know, he'd be like begging people for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So, what did your mother send you off to school with food or, you know, what, what did you think when you got to school and what was school food like? If there was a, a school field trip to the zoo, let's say, and this would be the perfect example, everybody on the, on the, on the field trip would have the ham and cheese and I'd be, and, and, and my mom, which sometimes we would have bread or sometimes we would have this processed, um, like, bologna like pork bologna that they put on like the typical vietnamese sandwiches Mm -hmm. very very super like traditional like every kind of like stall has it um but it's like bologna the the bologna of 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 southeast asia um she would make me uh like a bologna like a vietnamese style kind of fun me to take to these field trips and i would be so embarrassed because again I like the sandwich, but I wanted the ham and cheese, and, and, and I wanted what everybody else had. And they would look at my sandwich like, we don't want that. Like, but then again, looking back now, it's like I had the best of, 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 of both worlds. I would bring, you know, like, uh, um, like soybean drinks to lunch, and everybody would look at me weird. But then they, they would drink it, and they were like, oh, my God, that's so good. Like, can I have your soda that you're bringing from home? Um, so again, it was it was one of those those treats for for people that didn't get your typical you know Coca Cola or, or right. Seven Up. Like I would bring like the soybean soya bean drink. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how did you make your journey into the food world? So you went to you went to school in in Kansas. How long did you stay in Kansas? Yeah, I uh, as again as soon as I, I graduated from high school, um, I I went away. I kind of you know went to tried to go to to KU but I wasn't smart enough (laughs) I ended up you know going to a a a community college in Johnson County Kansas City um but during that time and again I was so spoiled because my mom cooked for me every day that when you leave to go to college you just have to start cooking for yourself I would miss my mom's cooking so I, I started to make spring rolls and stuff that like you know that I missed and, and then I would end up making that food for my friend's part birthday party or a celebration and they'd be like, Oh my God, that's so good. But then I, I would personally look at the spring rolls that I made. I'm like, they're okay. They're not as crispy as my mom's or they're like, you know, they're good, but <laughs> like, I wish my mom could make it. Um, and that kind of sprung the idea that, you know, as I was going to, to, to college and, I really wasn't going to classes, but I ended up being in a restaurant. You know, the chefs were like, you know, you, you kind of... What, what do you mean you ended up? What kind of restaurant? My first real restaurant job was at a brewery, 
the the Free State Brewery, which is I have great memories to this day. I was I was the fry cook. I had three fryers, um, beer battered onion rings. I had a five gallon bucket. I had like my my hands were were all caked in beer batter. Um, but it was like one of those great experiences where. You know, it's a sink or swim kind of, of mentality. Um, so you were a student in school and did this I was on the side. In I needed a job. I worked at you know at the restaurant. They hired me, um, and they just kind of saw potential. <laughs> what did your mom think about you working in a restaurant? Um, she was just happy I was making money. <laughs> she was happy that she didn't have to send me too much money every month. So she was she was kind of happy with that. Um, did she think that you know I was going to take culinary serious? No, I didn't think I was going to take culinary serious, but I started to look around, and back then, and again, this was probably 94, 95, <clears throat> I was 20 years old, I looked at all the line cooks, they were almost 30 years old, they are all alcoholics. Yes. yes. They, they all had the shakes, they all, you know, spent all their money on booze, and, and I just didn't want to end up like that, so I really, the chef that was working with me at the time was like, you should think about culinary school, and I was like, it's too expensive. I, I'm not really interested, but then I, I just fell into cooking. I was good at it. You know, I just, I learned how to cook burgers and steaks at the brewery. It gave me really the basic, basic knowledge of, of cooking. Um, and I started to kind of take that further. So then I started to really think about culinary school after like three or four years of cooking like that. Um, and I, you know, didn't think it was possible because it's so expensive. But then, you know, my mom has been so supportive. So, you know, she kind of made that happen for me. Um, so you went up to Necky, right? Yeah, I uh, my my. How'd girl- you get to Vermont from Kansas? And, and, and this is the the I guess the I guess my I don't even know how to say it. I was so naive, <laughs> being from the Midwest because um, I I just I've never been in the East Coast and I my my girlfriend at the time was getting her master's and, and at Pratt University in New York and I kind of wanted to be close to her. And she's like, you know, you should think about culinary schools up here. So there was the CIA, uh, but then there was NECI, New England Culinary Institute. And, uh, and I went there, and it was just, you know, for the amount of money that you pay, and, and you know, the CIA is like a 30-to-1 class ratio, and NECI was like a 7-to-1. I was like, you know what, if I'm going to pay that much money, I'd like to have some personal... <laughs> attention. Personal attention. Right. Um, and, you know, I had this... I guess I had this weird idea of how New England would be, like, very open and, and, and you know, welcoming, but yeah. it was the exact opposite. Was it? <laughs> it, was, it was my first, I guess, experience of, of just... And, and again, this is the, the, I guess, the New England mentality where you have to earn your, 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 yeah. your right to kind of be here. Um, but I was at a bar, you know, I was, like, 24, 25. I was at a bar, and... and you know, I was with my friends, and, and there, you know, I just was going to order a drink, but, you know, there's a guy in front of me, and he was very, he was like, your money's no good here. And I'm like, oh, no, no, don't worry about it, because I thought he was going to pay for me, because he yeah. was so nice, and, yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah, everything yeah. was so, yeah. like, wonderful, but it was like, he was, like, trying to tell me I wasn't welcomed at the bar. And that was really the first time I felt like an outsider wow. somewhere, you know, and, and this was in... This is in Montpelier, Vermont, which again, it's a town of twelve hundred, but with the culinary students, yeah, you know, it gets up there. Over. Yeah, and, but you know, that mentality was like you have to live here for three or four years to, to be in this community. You know, you have to be a part like a part of that. And I was like, Wow. I mean I I grew up in the Midwest where, 
you know, there's a lot of rednecks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of, like, racial... So how long were you up there for? <clears throat> Two years. Oh, so that must have been tough. Um, I mean, again, I went there for school, so yeah. that was really my focus. Um, yeah. I did my first internship in Portland, Oregon, because my sister was living out there. Uh-huh. Um, I really got exposed to, to wines for the first time. Um, my internship was at Dundee Bistro, but it was the, the, the people that owned it were Ponzi Vineyards, which, oh, you know, they were, yeah. they were like one of the, the Top, pi- pioneers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you it know. just really, you know, school plus you know, doing my internship, it really opened my eyes to like the terroir. I didn't understand that terminology until I was working in that area where it was just, you know, the Red Hills is what they call it. And you, you really got a sense of, you know, how wine is made and how just particular things are. Um, so we're going to take a little break here and we're going to come right back. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Today, my guest um, is um, Pet Schweider, who is from Kiyo Restaurant in Tribeca. And we're just getting really his story, his incredible journey from Laos to Wichita to Vermont to Portland, Oregon. And um, you're like an all-American boy after going through all this. Uh, so, t- so tell me about the journey Um I'm, and you're, you're cooking, I presume, in all of these places, traditional American food or French food. And so uh, how did your palate develop? Because if you grew up on Laotian food and then you're eating Burger King, when did fine dining really hit your, your palate? I think um, after I graduated culinary school um, and... Had you really tasted fine dining before culinary school? Not really. I mean, you know, I, I would think, you know, bread lobster is fine dining in Wichita, Kansas. Right. Like, that's, some, that's like a treat my mom loves to go to because, you know, you spend some money, you get a lobster, you get, you know, yeah. you get some biscuits, and, uh, and it's great. Um, <clears throat> when I graduated culinary school, my girlfriend, again, who was at the time in New York getting her master's, I was like, I should just try New York. I should see where I can work in New York. And I ended up um, calling Patricia Yo because she had a restaurant, AZ, that just had just opened. And, you know, she's, I, I met her. I came to visit. I met her. And, and really, she was like, you know, if it doesn't work out, you can just leave at any time. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Not knowing any idea of, of what to expect in New York City. Um, actually, you know, when I called uh, to talk to her chef de cuisine, Pino, which is who's one of my mentors and, and a good friend of mine, you know, he, they asked me, like, are you green? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that means. 
like what are you like what are you like what are you trying to say like are you green like do you know what you know do you know what you're doing i'm like i mean i worked i worked in some restaurants i've cooked before like you know but it was really one of those kind of moments where when i first started it was just such an eye-opening experience into fine dining um you know the amount of of detail involved the the amount of hours and there's just the pressure involved when you when you come to the city and, and you've never had that background i've cooked for a thousand people at the brewery but that was not even the same of cooking for 30 people at a super fine dining restaurant um you know a lot more pressure everything you know every execution every process that you that you that that you're doing is is, is being watched and, and you have to do it right <laughs> Wow. So, um, so how did you get from Oregon to New York? You did, was it from Oregon to New York, or was there any place in between? So, yeah, Oregon was my first internship. Then, basically, how how Necky works or New England Culinary Institute is you you spend six months uh, at the school, and then the next six months is your first internship. Then, you know, you spend another six months, which is your second year, to get your associates, and then you do your second externship and AZ happened to be my second externship. Oh, I see. Okay. So, so that was, and then you to, to find an externship to get the credits to, right. to be able to graduate. So have you stayed here ever since? Um, yes, but it's a love hate off and on kind of relationship. Oh, it's New York. You know, I love it. I left, I came back. I loved it. I hated it. I left and then I came back. So, um, so tell us about where, how you've developed your style? Um, you know, my style is, is, I've always had the idea that, you know, I'd like to be a chef one day after culinary school and you set some goals. Um, and then you kind of start to think like, what am I going to cook or what am I going to do? But I think those influences um, for me were just, when I go back home to visit my mom, I just be happy just to, to have her cook for me and just to, to be comforted by a chicken lap, chicken salad with sticky rice, something so simple that, like, that's what made me happy. Um, cooking at these high-end restaurants gave me such great experiences. Um, but was that something that I wanted to do for my career? No. Um, at the end of the day, I think we all want to be our own bosses at, at one point. Um, and again, I'm almost 40 years old, and, and this is my first, rest, you know, my own restaurant. Some people do it before they're 30 and, and I can't even imagine myself being mature enough to run and operate a restaurant at that age um, I, I think it's you know a lot of timing um, but it's, it's almost the same as, as before I opened this restaurant um, I didn't know if it was going to be s super Laotian or just kind of whatever I felt like cooking but at the end of the day what really inspired me was just all the dishes that I grew up eating so I don't like to say that it's a Laotian restaurant. I like to say it's Laotian-inspired because, again, some of the dishes aren't truly Laotian. They're just good. I just like So it describes some. Um, like the chili prawns. It's one of our top sellers. Um, but that's something I got from Mark because, you know, one of his top sellers, and he went to uh, Singapore uh, for, for a trip, and he fell in love with these chili crabs. Oh, but the chili crabs are amazing. So he, he fell in love with the chili crabs. So his inspiration for, you know, at his restaurant, he did chili lobster. And that just happened to be one of those dishes that everybody loves at his restaurant. And, and, and I love, you know, I love it too. But then I was like, you know what? I, I want to do chili prawns. Why not? And again, it's one of those things where people love it. Like, 
I want to take it off, but people are like, you better not take that off. And I'm like, is it Laotian? No. Is it good? Yes. What, what do you have that's traditionally Laotian on the menu? Uh, beef jerky, um, coconut rice with kaffir lime sausage, uh, and, and again, okay, so is that- nam kao. Uh, um, you know, but again, a lot of the flavor profiles are, are pretty traditional Laotian. Is the ingredient Laotian? Because, you know, I've been knocked for having seafood on my menu when Laos is a landlocked country. Oh, it's got the river. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of, you know, I, like I, I don't want to be, you know, relegated to I can't ever work with seafood so um you know i I just kind of cook what i you know what i what i feel or what what again what's available Well, tell me how much french food is in new york i mean to do french food do you have to be french do you have to use all french products you know is it a french recipe i mean now so you know it extends to any cuisine laotian included absolutely um you, you know and again like for me, you know, there, there, there's, there's always going to be critics out there, but I just, I really, truly wake up in the morning and I think about dishes that I grew up with and how I can recreate those flavors. Are they going to be super traditional? No. Are they, they like, are, they, are the flavors going to be, be there? Yes. And, and that's my goal when it comes to it. Um, the Laotians that have come to the restaurant, and this is, this is one of those great things. I moved to the city in 99, never met one Laotian until I opened my restaurant. But we all have the same background. Born in Laos, grew up in Ohio, Nebraska, Minnesota, all somewhere in the Midwest. And they're super skeptical when they come to my restaurant because it's like, ah, oh, it's probably like, you know, uh, a Thai guy kind of, you know, trying. Tr- trying. But then they'll have the beef jerky with the smoked chili sauce. And they're like, that's just like my dad or like, that's how my mom makes it. And that is it presented the way that, you know, it is at home. No, it's on a little nicer plate or, or are there any American Laotian dishes? Because spaghetti and meatballs is Italian-American. You don't find it in Italy. But what they did was they adapted what they found here and made a really Italian-like um, dish, but with American products. Is there, is there any iconic American uh, Laotian? Uh... I'm just trying to think. Like, you know, everybody, when they think about, like, I guess Thai cuisine, like Pad Thai. Yeah. Um, but my mom calls it Pad Lao. But it's it's basically, you know, the use of black soy sauce when, when, when she makes the Pad Lao. Yeah. Um, and that's something I grew up with. Um, but it's, I, I, I'm just trying to think if there's anything American Lao that we can... So you went back to Laos, right? Yes. So when did you go back and what was that experience? Uh, I went back in, in 2010, and, and this is the first time being back since we moved in 78. So it was one of those things where I just needed to do it. Um, never found the time, never had the time, but you know, I had a lot of free time before I opened my restaurant. And it was one of those experiences where I wanted to know if I was on the right path with food. I wanted to know if, you know, if... My beef jerky recipe was the same as going to a restaurant in Vientiane and ordering, you know, the beef jerky there. And it was almost exactly the same. It's always, you know, the smoked chili sauce, the jelbong, which is people are surprised I have it on my menu. But as a chef, and I've had enough experiences and my palate's been, been, you know, used enough to where I can recreate certain flavors once I taste it. And, and, and I have that ability. And, and you know, and, and again... 
I knew I was on the right path when the dishes came out and they were just, these are the things that I had in Wichita, Kansas, you know? So it wasn't really anything different. It was just maybe a different kind of fish that they were using or, or you know, they would add more padak, which is like a, a funky fish fish paste to, to the dish. Um, but again, I knew right away that, you know, this is really... But you had authentic taste. Yeah, the, the flavors were there. How it, emotional was it to go back? Do you have family there? Um, I do have family there, and, um, I mean, I have kind of some crazy stories that I can tell you. Oh, tell! Come on! So, so the first time I went back, my mom didn't want me to go. I was almost 36 years old. <laughs> Why? My, my mom was worried that, and this is... My mom was worried that, you know, like... The, when 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 you go over there as an American, and and you have family over there, everybody kind of expect like they think you're like a rich American that you can just hand out money to them and and, and all the problems will get solved. Mean, meanwhile, I didn't I didn't have a lot of money. I had enough to for the, like the plane ticket and some you know for the hotel you know fare. But like you know, my mom was worried that like you know there, I was gonna ask for a lot of handouts, and I was like, mom, you know like. Whatever money I have, I'll help out with my family. But other than that, I you know I can't worry about that. And um, you know I went there and and I just I met my cousins and and family and it, it was just so humbling to see how they live because they don't need money to make them happy. They just need you know a roof over their head, good food on the table, and family. And that was what is kind of what really you know humbled me and, and made me realize. You know, this is where I came from. This is my culture, and, and I'm glad I'm, I'm 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 a part of that. I'm glad I'm very lucky to be American too, um, to have the luxuries that we have: toilets, <laughs> running yeah. water, yeah. the really really basic stuff that some of my family doesn't have. Mm. But again, they're not complaining. They're they're really they, they they try to live their lives. So, did you spend most of your time in Vientiane, or did you go up to Luang Prabang? Did you tra- travel different areas of the country? The first time I went, um, I spent most of the time in Vientiane. Um, you know, kind of just to see the the village where I was born and stuff like that. And then I actually ended up staying in Nankai, um, where, and again, this is kind of one of those crazy stories where it was a a, a relative of a relative, um, and they were kind of very greedy, to be honest. Um, they wanted me to stay with them, and and I didn't want to stay with them. So my wife at the time booked a a, a, a hotel reservation on the outskirts of Nankai, brand new resort less than a year old, I ended up staying there and the person who owned it, the proprietor, was the mayor of Nongkai. He and was Thai. He was Thai. And he was asking, and I was one of like one of only two people staying there at the time, which is kind of weird, but it was nice because I was by myself and I didn't have to deal with anybody. He asked me, like, who are you? What are you doing here? Because obviously I don't look Laotian. <laughs> I, don't, I, I can barely speak. So they're kind of like, you know, what are you, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm going to open a restaurant in New York. They're like, oh, really? And he was asking about my background. And, and this is the story. It might be a little long, but I'll try to make it short. Um, I told him there was, you know, we stayed, we, we escaped Laos and we stayed up in Nongkai here. And he was like, you know what? Like, there is the refugee camp, the big one. 500 yards away from this resort that you're staying at and I'm not very spiritual religious but while I was staying there for the the two or three days I ended up feeling something I don't know and and again this is people that know me know that I'm not very spiritual at all I ended up feeling that my my father was close 
um, because we kind of lost track of where his grave was. And, you know, everybody said, like, oh, they've been bulldozed for, you know, a new na- neighborhood to come. The, the temple's not there. So we kind of just lost track. So from that moment, when I left and I came back to the States, I told my mom about the experience. I told my wife about the experience. And, you know, they were like, oh, my God, like, my mom's superstitious. She's like, oh, my God, that's a sign from your, you know, your from your father. Like, he's watching over you. I'm like... You know, let, let's not. It, it was a, it was a weird feeling, but let you know. Let's. It made me more curious. So this next time I went, which was last year in 2014, I went with my mom, and you know I had better resources this time. I spent four days in Luang Prabang. We traveled down to Vientiane. We had a ceremony for her past relatives in Vientiane with all my family, and and my mom was able to 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 communicate with the with people because the first time I went it was a struggle for me even though I understood what they were saying I didn't I didn't know how to how to how to respond, respond to them or tell them what I was looking for other than I just want to eat <laughs> you know and, and that was our goal the second time to do it so I planned to stay in Nongkai also the second time at the same exact resort and just to kind of maybe look for my father's grave so we had a great time in Luang Prabang. Like it was just beautiful. The beef jerky, the river, all the different villages that specialize in all the different potteries that they make. The one, the river weed, Kaipen, which is amazing. Which is so it tastes like nori, but it's like this specific area along the river that they, you know, produce this stuff. Um, it was is amazing. Um, and being with my mom, and my mom was like, you know, this is a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime to be able to do this with my son, to not have to worry about money, like, because, again, we, we come from nothing. So mm-hmm. it's it's very, you know, we appreciate what we have, you know, if we're staying at somewhere, a nice place, or, you know, with with family, it doesn't matter. Um, so my mom looked at the itinerary, and she's like, why do you want to stay in Nongkai? I'm like, I want to try and find my father's grave. And she's like, she couldn't come. She couldn't argue with that. She's like, okay, no problem. So as we did all these things, and again, we had great experiences along the way. It was 18 days. We ended up crossing the border from Laos into Nongkai, and we were taking a cab, a taxi, and I nudged my mom, and I told her, I'm like, Mom, can you ask the taxi if he knows about this temple that you think in, that my father's at? So she asked, and you know, the guy was like, I know the exact resort where you're staying at. And I remember the, you know, the, the refugee camp. He was like... The temple's, that temple's not there, but there's another temple that's still there. And, like, as we're driving by the entrance of the temple, he points to it, and it's literally less than 500 yards away from the resort. So we get there on a Wednesday night, and we're like, you know what? We'll wake up in the morning. We'll go, and, you know, I ended up, I had a, a video camera. We'll go, and we'll just ask questions to see if anybody knows about the grave. <clears throat> we ended up waking up in the morning. I took my camera, you know, videotaped the whole walk, everything. As we entered the, uh, the the temple, there's a monk washing his clothes, and um, you know there's I don't I don't know if you're familiar with this one, but like tombstones are above, like they they have like they cremate the bones and then they put them in a jar and they put them inside the tombstone, and they're all kind of along the border of the temples. So as we're walking in, you can see new tombstones, and then you know as you look around, you can kind of see the old ones worn out. No one's taking care of them. You know, we ended up going to the monk. He was washing his, his, his clothes, and we asked him if he knew my father's name, Tong Savan, Vilay Tong. He's like, I, I don't know that name, but all the old ones, because he asked, you know, what year he passed. He's like, all the old ones are in that corner. You're more than welcome to go and, and look. 
we ended up like looking at five or six different graves. Some of them were like overgrown. Some of them had broken down all this, all, uh, all the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The engraving and the cement had worn out. So it was, we were kind of like, this, this isn't, we're probably not going to find them. We ended up cleaning about five or six tombstones because we had to take water and again, just grab all this brush and overgrowth. And we got to the one and it was probably 80% of my father's name on the, on the, on the, on the stone. On the stone. And we were like, me and my mom are looking at each other like, could this be him? Because how can this be? Just this random. So we we ended up washing like all of it. Like again, there was overgrowth, timing. If we would have waited another year, it might have worn out. If you know, if I didn't visit in 2010 and didn't stay with my family, you know, the the right. family that you was kind of yeah, yeah uh, um, I might have not had that feeling, and then I might have not have wanted to do this again. So we ended up finding his 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 tombstone. Oh my god. Um. You know his tombstone, and like we, we, I was like, Mom, like we gotta have my brother, my sister be here, and so we wanted to wait to have a ceremony. But the monk was like, Listen, he's been here for over thirty years. It's time for his spirit to go. It's time to release his spirit. And I was like, What do you mean? Like, what are we doing here? We ended up taking his bones out of the tombstone, which is pretty crazy. There's a very traditional ceremony in the Mekong because there's a temple fallen. In the Mekong, that's in the river, in the river, and they they a monk takes you in a boat and you take your relatives' bones and you you go around this temple that's fallen uh, three times in the Mekong and you release the bones. So we ended up doing this, mind you, on a Thursday at nine o'clock in the morning, an hour after we found his grave. Oh, and I was just like. This and, and I have it all on video. I have like I have the link that you can like you can go to. But it was just one of those. Oh my God! Did this just really happen? Like me and my mom looked at each other. We had lunch afterwards, and we were like, "Did that just really happen? Like, did that just really?" Did what did you feel? Relief. I felt. I mean, the 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 crazy part was when they took the bones out from the tom- tombstone, and I could. I've never knew my father, and there was always questions uh, growing up that, like, you know, my mom was always like, you know what, like, you you play soccer just like your dad, or, or you know, there's always things that reminded uh, um, her yeah. of, of, you know, of you my, my father. Like yeah, father. my she father. She saw your father in you. And, you know, I just, I, I could see his bones, and I could touch him, and I was, like, it's such an overwhelming experience, and it was just unbelievable at the same time that... Like, what do you do? And and again, I wanted my family, my brother and my sister to be a part of this. But the monk was like, listen, he's been here too long. Like, no one's come by to, to take care of his tombstone. Like, it's time for his spirit to go. And we just felt relief afterwards. But it was like closure. Closure. When there's always been a question, you know. Oh, so, what a fantastic you know, that, that's, that was the second, you know, the second time of going back to Laos <laughs> in Thailand. And, you know, it, it's unbelievable. Well, that, that's one of the greatest stories I've ever heard on... Well, it's, it's very moving. We'll, we'll take a break right here, and we'll be right back. Yeah. 
You're listening to Chef's Story, and today uh, we have an extraordinary guest, um, Pet Schrader from uh, Kiyo Restaurant in Tribeca. Uh, just really led us through an amazing uh, story back to Laos, and I, I, you know, we don't have too much more time in the program, but Kiyo is a Laotian restaurant. Maybe for our viewers, you want to tell us the difference between Thai food, Chinese food. And Laotian food? Uh, yeah. Um, I guess the first question that everybody always asks, like, what's Laotian cuisine? First question. <laughs> and it's even hard for me to, to, to describe it because even though I grew up with it, even though I grew up in a Laotian community, um, there's so many different, there's so many similarities between Thai food, Vietnamese food. I know there's distinguishing regions and distinguishing dishes. Um, but, you know, when I asked my mom, like, what's super traditional? And I've asked a lot of different Laotians, what's super traditional Laotian? There's different, <laughs> there's different opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say really sticky rice is, is the main staple of our diet. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner, we probably will eat sticky rice. Um, you know, nam khao, which is coconut rice. Um, they fresh grated coconut and like the old, the old ladies would sit. It's called a rabbit or a katai. Um, and they would sit and grate coconuts, and, and they would mix it in with the jasmine rice, a little curry. Um, that was like super traditional Laotian, um, you know, and papaya salad and chicken lop. But again, a lot of people associate that with Thai cuisine, which again, we have almost very similar kind of languages. It's just we're, we're, we're kind of considered the, the the cousins. The but you don't really have curry, do you? No. Not, okay. not a lot of curry. And you don't have so much stir-fry either. No. no. I mean, so that, my personal sort of journeys over there, yeah. where Thailand's Indo-Chinese. Yeah. Laotian, to me, is a unique cuisine to the land. Yeah. Because you have chickens, you have lap, and lap. Was made with blood. Yeah. I remember, yeah. you know. So I think it's a and and chilies are a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and again, like fish, like going back and seeing my relatives and how they just are so relying, you know, upon what they catch. You know, even if they don't have a job or if they don't have you know some way to to, to make an income, they go and fish, and they either they they wrap it in banana leaves and let it sour in the sun for three days and they call it sompa and they sell it at the markets um you know fish is, is a very important part of our diet um growing up and again i would just say you know all the different kind of sauces mm-hmm. would kind of distinguish laotian cuisine like gel mm-hmm. which is kind of like this this really bitter um it's like this bitter berry and and again i always ask my mom what are the like what are all these things? Um, you know, gel bong, gel maklen, like tomato sauces, all those things that kind of, when we eat, we like to have a lot of different assortment of sauces to eat, with, to, mm-hmm. to have our sticky rice to dip in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, to me, is kind of what Laotian cuisine is. Papaya salatamakung, that's something that every Laotian household knows. Like, And if we didn't have papaya at that time, we would do it with long bean, we would do it with cucumber, we would do it with carrots, whatever we could we could smash in the mortar and pestle, we would do. Right. So... Um, How much the French French influences that you find in the local cuisine? I would say, you know, my really, you know, the the the, the 
I guess the 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 French bread Vietnamese stands. Like, there's so many stands that you can get, you know, a great Vietnamese sandwich from. Um, but other than that, I I personally, I haven't, you know, really experienced it. I don't know, like. You know, because in Thailand in the old days, in the 70s, you couldn't find bread. But you could in Laos. Yeah, in Vietnam, again, there's literally thousands of different stalls selling different sizes of of French loaves Mm. that you can get. And, you know, you got to know kind of which one to go to, so... You've got to go there with Anthony Bourdain. Take him around. Yeah. Uh, he probably knows more than I do uh, <laughs> of, of where to go. So, But it sounds like you've got the palate. Yeah. I, uh, this Actually, this last time I went, um, we had a little uh, a tour guide because, again, my mom knows everybody in the Laotian community. So she was like, she told you know somebody that they're going to Laos, to Vientiane, and one of her, her, her friends daughter lives there and she ended up being our tour guide but she would take us to like the local spots where everybody loves to go so like there's a spot called kfc chicken i'm like what are you talking about kfc chicken she was like they specialize in only chicken (laughs) fried chicken um and everybody goes there like in laos but the reason why it's called kfc chicken is because it's the street that it's on so it's cool cool young chicken (laughs) so they would say kfc chicken i'm like and we went there and it was amazing Gaiyang. Gaiyang. Yeah. And so, with the red, sticky rice. Sticky rice. Red pepper sauce. and like, like gel som and, <laughs> yeah. you know, again, fried chicken. That was, it was amazing. You know, she, we've just been very lucky that, you know, I don't, and, and again, I'm so bad with names. Um, there's a very traditional preparation. Um, and, and actually my mom would take the leftover sticky rice in the mornings and then batter it with eggs and then like char it on, on like the fire um, I'm so bad with names, I, and my mom's gonna kill me if she hears me. Like, here's this interview, and I don't know the name. Um, but that's a, a super kind of traditional way to mm. to eat sticky rice, mm. like grilled on a stick. And we went to one where they put the funk badak and battered it with the egg, and then like it was super spicy, but it was like crunchy rice, like mm. toasted over charcoal. So, do you do that at your restaurant? I, mm, I, I've thought about it. I'm. I'm Again, I'm always working different, different ideas. Okay, it's coming to you soon. All right, well, I tell you, Pet, this has been just great talking to you. I can't wait to get to Kyo. And, um, and uh, I really want to thank you for coming by today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I want to do a shout-out to Robin Cohen and Jack Inslee, our producers. And I want to thank you for listening today, and we'll see you next time. For listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.